The root of the problem in the sustainability crisis is a loss of the sacred. Through conversations with scientists, theologians, scholars, thought leaders, and friends of the Spirituality and Sustainability Global Network, Make It Sacred explores the intersectionality of spirituality and sustainability and why this intersection is critical at our existential societal tipping point. Without spiritual grounding, we won't have a commitment or political will to create hope for sustainability. Co-creation always starts with a conversation. And what are we co-creating? A spiritually grounded passion that comes from a sacred understanding of the earth. Hi, my name is Maddie, and I'll be your host as we start these conversations together. everyone. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation today. It's with a beautiful person and friend named Katie Herbolic. She runs an education-based business called Conscious Earth, which leads all kinds of things that you'll hear about in this episode, including plant walks and um, permaculture design. She's also a yoga and meditation teacher and is trained in herbalism. And the reason I wanted to talk to her on this podcast is because Katie is not just someone who is passionate about spirituality and sustainability. She's someone who is absolutely living these values in every area of her life. And it's something that is really inspiring to me and every person that she encounters. One really fascinating thing you'll hear us talk about is that she's currently living in an RV on a piece of land with her partner and regenerating it. So please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Katie. I also want to note that if you want to become a monthly contributor to support programs like this and support the mission of the Spirituality and Sustainability Global Network, you can go to our website, spirituality-sustainability.net, and I will also put that link in the show notes. So please enjoy this conversation with Katie. She is going to be leading us in a short meditation before we start the podcast. Let's all take a big inhale together. Releasing from the need for always having a thought, um, the need for more, 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 the need for our to-do list. Let's take a second and collectively set that down and focus on breath. Filling our body with energy, we are clearing our systems, or weeding the gardens of our minds when we intentionally breathe. Sending that breath deeper into the belly, we activate rest and digest. And from this place, we can make more clear decisions, have more clear thought, and we allow room for the quiet voice of wisdom and intuition to step forward. I want you to envision yourself. standing in nature, whatever that looks like to you. And from this zoomed out perspective, you see yourself in this landscape. I want you to intentionally recognize that you are not different from this landscape. You are not separate from this landscape. You are not an outsider in nature. You are part of nature. There's a quote that I love. In the quest for civilization, man forgot that he too is animal.
we are from the earth and we will return to the earth and there is no separation between us the animals the trees the plants the insects we are part of this we have a vital role and responsibility to maintain our relationship with these cycles You have purpose and place. And the earth is here to guide you, to hold you, to pick you up when you stumble and fall. So let us all move from the place of heart, a place of deep knowing that we belong, a deep knowing that there's more than just the rat race. And that we have gifts to share and there are gifts to receive. So next time you see a tree or a flower or a bird, observe your relationship, what you are giving and what you are receiving. You are not separate. You are part of the whole. Thank you, that was beautiful, Katie. I'm so glad we started with that because I feel like that gave us, whenever I do a meditation with you, it's just like, I feel like I know so much about who you are. So I'm glad that we got to start this with that. So could we start, tell us who you are, your name, and kind of what you're doing in your life right now with how you're living and your work. I know that's a big question, but that's kind of the point of this. So yeah, <laughs> just, just start with whatever you want and we'll continue the conversation. Wonderful. Well, thank you for having me on here. My name is Katie Harbalik. I live in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. I was raised um, in, in Leesburg, which is a suburban town outside of Washington, D.C. And right now where I'm living is I live with my fiance in a 32-foot pull-behind RV. And we live off-grid, still within the reach of town and, and neighbors. And it's this beautiful little hub of of rewilding ourselves and and doing that in a gentle way rather than just you know taking this rv into the back country and figuring it out out there so i'll, I'll kind of talk about how i was raised and how i got to this place so like i said i was i was raised in a suburban town um, and we spent a lot of our, our childhood outside, my brother and I, um, with my parents. And they were always encouraging us to explore the woods, explore the creeks. We did a lot of creek stomping. And, and just to spend our time outside. My, my mom used to always say to us when we were kids, if you're bored, that just means you're not using your imagination. And so that gave me a lot of of play with my own mind and and she gave us a lot of of time outside to explore and see what was there be curious and get dirty that's something i really value about my childhood was i was allowed to be dirty all the time you know I, it was never a don't get your shoes dirty don't get your clothes dirty we were encouraged, go play in the mud, go make a mud pie, go do whatever you want to do while, while being safe. Of course, we were, you know, being supervised when we were little and all, and all that. Um, and then as I got older, you know, living in, in the suburbs outside of DC, I did kind of get caught up in um, the material world and, and I fell away from that very nature-based uprising that I had upbringing um, I got very into 
the social aspect of school, um, not in a way that I loved it, but more in a way of just continually trying to fit in and make sense of who I was. And my grandparents had a farm about 30 minutes west of where we where I was raised. And the beautiful place, uh, the beautiful thing about Leesburg is 30 minutes one way, you can be right outside of Washington, D.C. And 30 minutes the other way, you're out in the country. And so I kind of did have this view of this perspective of getting the best of both worlds and allowing that to kind of see where, where was my heart calling me, east towards the city or west towards the mountains. And, and having my grandparents a bit farther west, we got to, we got to see what life was like there, which was a lot more time and space to explore. And ultimately, I, you know, finished high school in Leesburg and I went to college and I was on track to be a speech pathologist and I envisioned myself working in a city in, um, in a NICU or in the ICU with traumatic brain injury patients. And my very last semester of school, I had room for one extra class, so I decided to take this class I had heard all my friends raving about. It's called Individual Sustainability. And the whole point of the class was ultimately to figure out who you were. And the way the professor portrayed a lot of our projects was, uh, it was deep introspection. And he was ultimately teaching us how to be introspective and figure out the questions to ask ourselves to see what did we truly value. And at the same time, he's teaching us about, you know, these bigger systems that are going on in the world that are causing destruction. And, um, and I realized, wow, if I go into speech pathology, I will be a passion of mine and I will love my life and I will have a wonderful life. But I felt kind of like I was getting narrow sighted. And so through this class, I realized I wanted something I wanted to lead a life where I was back to my childhood, where I was outside all of the time. And I was doing something that was greater than just myself. I wanted to, to leave impact that was important for generations to come. And I, I went farming. So I did, I go, I went wolfing, which is an acronym. It's an organization that stands for worldwide or opportunities for organic farming and it's a place where you can trade your labor directly for food and a place to stay so it was a great option for me just coming out of college with next to no money to go and get some experience and see did I want to be a farmer and I learned a lot through those seasons of farming on on different projects and realized you know what I didn't want to replicate and what I did want to replicate and then, you know, take it and, and make it my own. So I've spent the last, I guess it's, it's uh, 2022. So I graduated college five years ago and I've spent these last five years studying the plants and studying my relationship with nature and and figuring out where where my heart is truly calling and i have a partner jude who is just enamored with plants and he's fascinating and he's fascinated by them and he studied environmental science and geographical information systems so he also had this passion for farming and and there was a a long period of time where I questioned if my interest was rooted in myself or if it was rooted in wanting partnership with him. And I struggled with finding my own place in the world, my own place in this path. And, you know, there was, there was hard times and hard questions I had to ask myself. And ultimately I realized, you know, if, if all my relationships dissolve, who am I? Who do I want to be? And the answer is a resounding, I want to be outside. 
I want to be in relationship with the plants and, um, and then carving my own way in that. So I look at all of these people who are doing nature-based work and, you know, it's, it's easy to, to see the strong points that someone has and reflect it back to where I feel weak in myself. And I realized actually relatively recently, like through a series of years of questioning myself and answering deeper questions that I'm asking myself, that I don't have to have the same set of knowledge that someone else has in order to have a valuable place in nature-based work. That when we honor our heart, we can create this, this fabric that's strong. And so um, coming kind of back to the question, what is my work outside now? So I'm getting my permaculture design certification. And through that, well, actually, let me back up. So in 2018, my partner and I, we started a business, Conscious Earth. And at that time, it was Conscious Earth Apothecary. And we had both gone deep into the herbs. And I found real passion with that. I found it to be something that felt ancestral. It was linking me to people who had walked to this earth before me. And it felt like this deep knowledge that I wanted to be able to continue on with and share. So we started this business, Conscious Earth Apothecary. And we were selling herbal products, teas, salves, things of the like. And when we bought the RV, we, we couldn't take our, our um, apothecary with us. There just wasn't the space for it. And so we shifted our business in, from a product-based business into an education-based business. So now we've dropped apothecary off of our business name, and we are Conscious Earth. And we are an education-based business. So we do a lot of plant walks around the Winchester, Berryville area, and we do them donation-based. Can you tell us a little bit more about what a plant walk is? Because that's so cool and intriguing to me and also really important. So can you, can you kind of tell us, like, what are you teaching people and why is it so important? Plant walks are just what they sound like. They're a walk to talk about plants. So we have them at, um, we host them at different um, trails around the area and we walk with people and point out plants that we are seeing um, and we talk about their uses, how we can stay in relationship with these plants. Um, we talk a lot about the honorable harvest. So some of the principles of the honorable harvest are um, not taking the first or the last of a plant that you see. So say I'm going out to harvest jewelweed and I have it on my mind and heart that I want to find this plant and I see one. I'm not going to take the first of the plant that I see because what if I continue my walk and that was the only jewelweed that had been growing there. I've now destroyed its opportunity to propagate itself by seed or by rhizome or however these all these different plants have different ways of propagating themselves but if I was to just take the first thing you know that could destroy future so another one is not taking more than 10% of what you find so say I do stumble upon a big jewelweed patch I'm not going to take more than 10% because I'm likely not the only one taking from this plant. There are animals who use this plant. There are insects who use this plant. And, and I need to, you know, be aware and, and mindful of my consumption. Another principle of the honorable harvest that we talk about while we're on these plant walks is giving back. So not just walking into the woods saying, oh, I found it, so it's mine, and, and taking it, but what am I doing to give back? So the ways that I give back, sometimes I sing to the plants as I'm harvesting them. I always thank them. And another thing that I always do is I ask the plant, is it okay to harvest from you? And sometimes there's a very clear no, whether that's just, this intuition that bubbles up that I don't know what it's rooted in, but something says no. So I'm going to move on and I'm going to listen and I'm not going to push past that and say, well, I want it. So I'm going to take it. 
Um, sometimes I'll ask the plant, is it okay if I harvest from you? And in that moment, there will be a breeze and there looks like a nodding yes or a nodding no. And I listen to that uh, because these plants are highly intelligent and they are communicating with us. So it's really important to, to be tapped in when you are going out to, to forage. So we teach people the ways in which we've learned to be tapped in. And we also teach people, you know, patterns to look at. What you say, we're going out looking for mayatake. We're going to be looking at the trees that are in the forest because we want to look at the biggest thing before we're trying to find something small. So, you know, we know mayatakes grow near oak. And these are mushrooms, right? Mayatake, yes, mushrooms. They're hen of the wood, common name. And yeah, so we teach people how to look from pattern to detail while in the woods. And there's this notion of the green wall. Have you heard of that? What did you say it was? The green wall. The green wall. Okay. Yeah, tell tell us about that. It's when, you know, you see a bunch of trees and then that's all you see. It's like, oh, I just saw trees. That was it. Or, you know, you go out and you think, oh, I just saw a bunch of weeds. And you don't have the, the um, well, it could be a lot of different things for different people, but the time or the breath or the, the pause to recognize, like, these trees are individuals. While I just saw trees, maybe I saw four different species of trees. And we teach people how to attune their eyes to bark patterns and leaf structures and and things like that and how we can really open up our observation skills when we're outside. And it's really inspiring to see people who feel they have limited or no relationship with the natural world by the end of these walks saying oh hey that's plantain hey i see chicory and it's it's so exciting and and inspiring to see these people just really blossom right in front of your eyes why do you think this education part is so important for sustainability Mm, yeah that's a good question so not long ago this was very common knowledge, herbalism, plant identification, eating wild foods. And only in a matter of a couple generations have we forgotten how to have these relationships or how to to know what the abundance that we do have at our fingertips is. And education is so important because you know, I was taught by someone and then I teach someone, that person teaches their friend, that person teaches their friend. One of my teachers currently has a, um, a saying, each one teach 10. You know, there's that common saying, each one teach one, each one teach 10. And think about how quickly we can revitalize this information because it is vital information. The, the plants have been with us for our entire existence, humanity's entire existence. We have depended on these plants to get to where we are today, to even be alive. Our ancestors survived on hunting and gathering, and, and these skills were so prolific. Everyone had them, and sometimes I get... It's a little scary to think like, wow, we we are so close to losing really important skills. And so plant identification is something that feels so important for me to be able to teach because it's going to keep this in the fiber of our humanity and the thread of our humanity for longer. And this remembering, you know, re to do again, member to put together. So it's like we're putting this information back together. And, you know, if if we learned anything from COVID, it's that our systems are very fragile. And there was times where, you know, you'd walk into the grocery store and the shelves were empty. And that was terrifying like absolutely terrifying. And at the same time, the woods near us are full of food. If we know what to look for, 
And that's why it's so important for, for us to be sharing the information that we've worked hard to cultivate is because this, this information is for everybody. And nature is here for everybody. And we have to be mindful of our harvesting and mindful of the practices that we're implementing with the natural world. Because if everyone were to turn around and just say, well, I'm just going to go on a 100% forage diet, you know, we'd strip what's left so quickly. So it's not just teaching and learning what we can eat, but it's also how we propagate these plants, how we multiply them, you know, how we ensure that they have a, a great chance of survival. And so for me, plant identification and, you know, nature-based education is security for the future. It's a way to know that we'll be okay if and when these systems crumble. That's even as you're saying that, knowing the name of something makes it a lot more personal to you. It's almost like, you know, when you have a friend, the first thing you learn is their name. And so it's really cool to think about that with plants. When you know the name of a plant, for example, you start to see it everywhere because suddenly it's something you recognize, you know? But then uh, yeah. you also start to realize, oh, they're, they're all thousands of other different species all around me that I just haven't learned the names of yet. And it kind of changes <laughs> walking down the street or like, for example, I'm looking at my window right now and there's this big, beautiful mulberry tree across the street and they line, they're all around, I guess here in Virginia beach, they bloom about a month earlier than up North. They're here and they are ripe right now. Okay. Cause they're just finishing now. Okay. But the thing that always kind of fascinates me is that I've never seen anyone pick a berry off of this tree. I'm the only, well, I mean, maybe someone has when I'm not looking, but it's just this thing that's sitting there. Wonderful, lovely. The birds are gorging on it. They're so happy, but we have, you're right, kind of lost this connection. And, and instead of, at least in like this neighborhood that I live, the way that kind of the landscape is approached is the lawn care team and like spraying for pesticides and um, not that, you know, I'm not condemning anyone for doing that to their yard, but at the same time, it's kind of that conquering approach to nature. Absolutely. And I think about it when I look at that tree because it's such a gift, but nobody notices it. They don't know it's there. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid of it. They don't, you know, there's this narrative that all wild food are going to kill me. If I eat something outside, I'm going to die. And that's just, yeah, it's true in some cases, but it's not true on the scale that I think our, you know, average citizen thinks it is. Mm -hmm. and, and, but we have created this, this, system that we do have to be really careful because yeah what is somebody spraying on that yeah the mulberry is edible but what about the pesticides and the fungicides and the herbicides that were sprayed on whatever plant i'm going to harvest and it can be really challenging to figure out how to trust yourself in a system in the system that we're in right now yeah i i agree with you it took me a long time before I was comfortable eating anything from the woods. And, you know, I foraged for about four years before ingesting anything really. And, and I didn't really take much in those four, first four years of foraging because I was overcoming my fear mm -hmm. that was culturally instilled in me. But it also maybe part of that is that it doesn't feel natural because it's not really something we're taught from a young age you know it's more like I feel like things that we're taught when we're young they're more intuitive and natural but kind of learning it when you're older my grandmother she's still alive but she doesn't have her garden anymore but she was a really big native plant lady and they would call her yard Jurassic Park because it was just this beautiful overgrown thing but the knowledge that she had of native plants 
And it's really what you're talking about, the importance of, of native plants and getting to know land was just so amazing and inspiring. And I wish kind of, I mean, I was interested when I was little, but now I think, oh, I wish I could just go back there and, and learn so much from her because what she did and what she created in her yard was incredible. It was such a masterpiece. And there still are people out there who are passionate about that. There are native plant societies everywhere, but they're mostly made up of senior citizens, which is you are not. So it's wonderful to see younger people being interested in all of this now. And I also wonder, I feel like with COVID, there was kind of an insurgence of people desiring to have this knowledge. And I wonder if it was some kind of primal thing of realizing, oh, my, this grocery store is not infallible. There is knowledge that this can fall apart. <laughs> and knowing nature and knowing how to live with it instead of, it's just very important knowledge that I think people sort of woke up to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, COVID was and is something that's really, really challenging, but there's also been these beautiful and really important silver linings. Like, you know, we're getting every, every year that passes, we have more people contacting us. Hey, what should I grow in my little garden? I'm having a garden for the first time. And fear does motivate people. And we all got really scared. We got really scared and we panicked and there's people who are hoarding resources and you know that created this scarcity mindset and people really were coming into clear vision of their own self-resiliency a lot of which like a lot of people don't have a lot of self-resiliency they we as a society depend a lot of, on money but at the end of the day, we cannot survive on money. We can't eat money. We can't grow something with money. You know, there's got to be a different kind of currency. And I think people are starting to wake up to that. I think the trade economy is becoming less underground than it was. And, and something I want to touch on that you said about a lot of the people who are interested in native plants are mm -hmm. our older folks and while that's true i think you know they're the elders that are have carried this very important knowledge through to where these younger generations are starting to wake up to it and i'm seeing a lot of people around our age you know 20s to 30s who are waking up to this, who are getting inspired and asking questions and examining their relationships with food and with plants and plants as food. Um, so I'm not sure if I have mentioned it here yet, but I'm doing my permaculture design certification and my teacher, Eric Joseph Lewis, amazing human. And something I really value that he's doing with us in this PDC is um, we're going on all these field trips to different farms around the area, and I am blown away by the amount of people who are here doing things right now, you know, growing and selling native plants. And, you know, we went to one the other day uh, with a sheep farmer who, like, he walked us through his whole process of um, raising, raising his own animals. And, you know, I went to another place, Planetary Farms, where young guy Dave is on five acres, and the amount of things that he's growing is wild. And it's, it's really inspiring to see we're not alone in these, in these desires to get back to ancestral knowledge. We need to use our resources, social media, as a big resource for connection and local connection. You know, that's something I think we can get lost in this social in social media is that it's global and it's so big. And what happens if we all wake up and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these social media things are gone? What are our real connections that we have, our local 
home-based connections. And so I think it's important to use social media as a mindful tool in that way of like finding the people who are around your age or differently aged than you and, and connecting with them in your local spaces. Because people are all around doing amazing things. And, and yeah, it's here. I think that's something you do really well. I want to tell people about the women's circle that you do really briefly. So Katie and I got to go to it when I was living close to her, but she co-leads a women's circle, which kind of, I'll kind of try to explain and you can fill in here for me, but it really, I think is an amazing example of what we are trying to do at this SSGN, which is have conversations, community conversations with people around spirituality and sustainability and our connection to each other and the earth. But there's something really, really amazing, Katie, about what you're saying with that local connection, which could also be translated to like our connection to the earth that we're living on, which then makes us want to take care of it. But having those connections with each other and really diving into those topics. I heard something really interesting, and then I want you to say a little bit about meditation in the women's circle and your part in that, but as we've been, I've, I've watched the news a lot recently because I'm living with my grandparents and they have the news on all the time, which is something I'm not used to, and so I feel like I've been, you know, you hear opinions and, and commentary about different things that are happening, and when the latest school shooting happened, there was a man who was a political commentator speaking about it. And he read like an editorial from the Washington post, I think that said, this isn't this issue of violence is a spiritual and a social issue more than it is anything else. And that really hit me because I think that is, I mean, yes, I mean, this is a separate issue. I don't want to get into <laughs> kind of the politics of this on this podcast, but I think that really is kind of the hurt in our world right now is a spiritual and social disconnect. So can you talk about the women's circle and kind of what you're doing with that and, and the purpose of that? Definitely. I wish you were still up here and could be coming. I know. I really miss it. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, myself and three friends, we were gathering at, at one of their houses and, you know, the four of us just coming into conscious conversation and things and realized very quickly, like, if we're craving this connection, this connection with other women and this intentional connection, there got to be other women here wanting this too. So we found a little space that we could hold small gatherings and we just kind of put it out on social media. Hey, we're doing this women's circle. And it's been amazing to see the the women who have come out of the woodwork to to join this circle and so we meet weekly and our three pillars are meditation movement and voice so voice is a combination of sharing and singing and it's a time where we get to come together and talk about our experience of being a woman in 2022 in you know specifically we're in Virginia and share our experiences and break down this this wall of having to be perfect in front of each other and having to be anything other than exactly what we are and it's a time to be raw and like tap back into your animal self and and your um, your innate self and to cry with people who are supporting you and encouraging you and to laugh and to, you know, break the bubble of stress and break the bubble of feeling so alone, which I think a lot of us have had experience, if not everyone has had deep experience with that the last few years of like this feeling of isolation. And, you know, we have this saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And we're all children. We will always, always be children. And that's not to say we're immature or anything, but we are always growing and we're always learning and expanding. And 
we all need this village. We need each other. At heart, we are pack animals. We don't exist in isolation. You know, there are a few of us who could go out and, you know, go deep into the backcountry with nothing and survive. But that's not most of us. And we need each other. And so the women's circle is this space where we are cultivating deep connection, deep friendship, and local friendship um, so that we can say, you know, like I have people in a 10-mile radius who I know are there for me in a, in, in a time of need, who I know I can call on. And, and it's so beautiful to witness just like the, the depth of conversation that comes outside of the women's circle because of the women's circle. So when we're able to share our stress, our pain, our joy, our triumph, all of it, we, we then go out and feel closer, or at least this is true for me, I feel closer to everyone. And my connections are deeper with everyone. You know, eye contact is so important for me. So I, you know, can be even more intentional with that and, and go out and, you know, I'm just passing someone on the street, but I genuinely want to know, hey, how are you? And I can stop. And we, we have these questions that are habitual in our in our society, especially how are you? And, you know, but what do we really mean by that? And can we be intentional with these habitual questions? And yeah, I just find that the women's circle and having a place to gather intentionally impacts the rest of my week. Yeah, it's really amazing. And you do, I think it's just so important. That's another thing that we lost or we, we all collectively experienced missing community during COVID and, and maybe a fruit of that that's good is creating it because we realized how much we needed it. So I think you're doing an amazing job at that. And, but one thing I, I do want to talk more to you about, um, I know you talked about permaculture and you talked a little bit about what you're doing right now, but I want to talk to you. I want to hear about how you are kind of regenerating the land that you're living on. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you're not just passionate about this. You are actually like doing this with your life right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I guess, have, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was just going to say with the permaculture um, philosophy, it's what, what did you say it was earlier? It's observe and observe and interact is okay. one of the first principles of, of permaculture. Okay. So we are newly on this land. We moved in on March 1st, so about three and a half months or exactly three and a half months today. And that's not a lot of time. And it's not a lot of time to observe what's going on. Um, so you know, we have all these big ideas of what we want to do with this land. And um, just to back up a little bit, we we met a family who has about 15 acres of property and it was just, it's a lot to manage. And so we kind of struck a deal with them where we have our RV on their land and we are able to live there and help to um, reestablish some systems on the property while we're there. So at first, you know, we're spending a lot of time in observation. We, we want to see who and what is growing there already, how the plants that are there are coexisting. Uh, we want to watch the rain, watch how the water flows on the property before we plant anything permanent like trees and things like that. We've got a small annual garden right now, but that is very impermanent. We can move that season to season. Um, and so, you know, I think we, we oftentimes want to just move quickly. We want quick results and we want to see our work pay off in front of our eyes. And and that's not what this work is like a lot of the time. It's a lot of waiting for the right time to plant or waiting for enough time to observe, observe through the full season, all the seasons. You know, in Virginia, we have four seasons. And so we want to observe through the winter and see where the frost pockets are. And we want to observe through 
the summer and see, you know, like, where is our sun really on our property and things like that. So while we are on this land and we are starting to establish and things, um, it's slow moving. And, and that can be hard to wrestle with mentally um, of, of feeling successful while not seeing a change. And I don't think that that is something we do very well as a society. And so it's a practice. And so what we're doing, what our hope and our end goal or continuing goal is we want to bring an old orchard back. We would like to, there's a dried stream. We would like to bring that back if possible. Um, I mean, it's definitely possible, but it, it takes time and effort and, and relationship and communication with the land. So currently of the 15 acres, we're focusing on about a half an acre more intensively. And then, and with that, we've got, you know, the annual gardens where um, we've got some chickens on the property that are helping us to well, they're scratching up the land and they're, they're helping us to till spaces that we'll plant on next season. Yeah, I don't, I don't exactly know what to say. So we, so you're we doing are, a great job explaining it. I just, I don't know a whole lot about permaculture and what kind mm -hmm. of regenerating a piece of land looks like. So, okay, this is great. So we're right now, something we're doing is planting some elderberry and, you know, elderberry spread. So we're being mindful of where we're putting it. We planted some sunchokes and, or sunroot is another name. And we're planting some things that, yes, while they'll take management, they're offering food and medicine. And we're, we're thinking about a windbreak. So where we are on is, you know, for the whole stretch of not only the property that we're on, but all of the neighboring properties, a lot of it's pasture and the wind is whipping through there, like wind I've never experienced before. And a couple of nights we've had to park cars as like a wind buffer around the RV. So it doesn't, I don't think it would knock over, but there's some moments where you're in there holding your breath. So how are we stopping that? We need to get trees in. And so we're looking at things that will, you know, the winds are strongest in the winter. And so things that will still be leafed out or needled out in, in the winter time. And we're looking at um, types of bamboo that don't spread. There's their clumping, clumping varieties and willow. And so the elderberry and, and we want things that have dual purpose. So, while it does act as a windbreak, can I eat it? Can I make medicine from it? Are the horses on the property able to eat it? Can the chickens eat it? Like, what, what's the multi-purpose in, in the decision-making process for what we're planting? So a lot of what we're doing right now looks like conversation and, um, and planning, planning for the fall, planning for for next spring and taking this year and this season to just be on the land and and see what's going on already before we come in and make changes because if we don't take the time to observe and we make a change that's an uninformed decision we have no idea how it will interact with what's going on already and i think as humans we have this very forceful relationship with a lot of things where we come in and we don't consider anything but ourselves. We are human and we are the most important. No, we're human and we're part of the whole. Who else are we considering? You know, the animals, the insects, our neighbors, the trees, the wind. Are we considering the sun? And so a lot of what it's looked like so far is, like I said, conversation, thinking, watching, listening, and, and stillness. And, and then to wrestle with that and say, I am making progress, even if you don't see something's changed. Yeah, because progress doesn't necessarily have to mean, sometimes it's a little bit backwards, sometimes it's a little bit to the side, sometimes it's a little bit, it's, it's not always 
oh, I'm achieving more and accomplishing more. Right. So I have, I have one more question for you. And it would be what gives you hope for the future? I think we see, you know, a lot of kind of scary stuff about sustainability in the earth, but what is something that makes you really hopeful? Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of things that give me hope, actually. And hmm, one thing that gives me hope is the community that I'm finding, that the people are here, that people care. People care about the land. And leaning into that gives me a lot of hope. People want to know how how do I make things better? How, you know, our climate is at extremes right now. And that's a wake-up call for everyone. And so now there are so many people that weren't asking questions before. They're asking questions. And people that want to know that, that didn't even know they didn't know before. And there are people who all the time are beginning their relationship with the natural world you know we teach people in the plant walks to talk to the plants and it feels so silly at first until you get to doing it more and more and then you realize like there's other ways to to communicate besides words and it gives me hope that there are a lot of people figuring that out right now and it also gives me hope that indigenous cultures are more in the conversation and we're looking to them as these wise, wise teachers that they are and realizing like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Generations ago, many generations ago, like we, we messed up big time. And there are people here who have the knowledge and we need to like sit down, shut up and listen. And then at the same time, we need to stand up and go outside and and tap in and I think that it's been really hopeful for me to see some of the ways that that people are connecting and and are sharing information and and just getting out there and trying it it gives me hope yeah well this has been such a you're you're just such a lovely person and you really live out what you believe. And that's so wonderful to see. And I'm so excited to share you and what you're doing with people because I think it's really inspiring. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was really wonderful to be on here.